CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to The Breakdown, an everyday analysis breaking down the most important stories in Bitcoin, crypto, and beyond with your host, NLW. The Breakdown is distributed by Coindesk. Welcome back to The Breakdown's end-of-year extravaganza, and today we have a great interview with Catherine Wu. Catherine Wu was a founding team member at Masari. She's now a VC at Notation Capital, but for crypto folks, she's probably best known for her epic annotations of SEC enforcement actions that come out seemingly hours after the, the, the decision has. Um, Catherine is a really, really broad thinker, so I was really excited to get her perspective on the narratives of 2019 and predictions for 2020. And we touch on some of the things that you might expect, DeFi and things like that. But I think Catherine's thoughts around uh, Chinese digital yuan and what it means for the the year going forward are really, really important. Uh, With that, I I really hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, please subscribe so you don't miss any of our end of year coverage. So without further ado, let's dive in. All right, we are back with Catherine Wu, formerly of Masari, now at Notation Capital. Catherine, thank you so much for joining today. Hi, Nathaniel. Good to, uh, I guess we're not actually seeing each other, but good to speak with you as always. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 2019 has been a big year for you, a little bit of change and transition from the Masari entrepreneurial life to the other side of the venture capital table, huh? Yeah, I know. It's uh, it's been a crazy, uh, crazy year. Um, amazing. Well, it has been like in some ways a crazy year and in other ways a quiet year in crypto. So I'm interested to see what you think. So, you know, I'm doing these end of year interviews. And basically the first question I'm, I'm interested in is what what you think the story of 2019 will be, right? Like when we look backwards, what is the biggest or the most important overarching narrative for for last year? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm going to be the only person saying this just because it's been so overwhelming. But I think main narrative of 2019 is really this like, you know, DeFi eats the world sort of movement, right? Sorry, I know that's like cheesy, but but you know what I mean? It's DeFi basically, I feel like took over 2019, right? Like, between, you know, Maker and Compound and Synthetics and Uniswap and Set and like all the toolings that have propped up around these DeFi protocols and, and dApps and you know, I actually was checking DeFi, uh, DeFi Pulse right before um, I got on the phone with you, and they're showing like 644 million as a total value that's locked into smart contracts of these like popular DeFi applications and protocols. And and there is room, by the way, for it to double. Like this is going to go into 2020 and beyond, but there's room for it to double, maybe even triple. And and I feel like 2019 has been 
just a lot, you know, of building and a lot of uh, move movement around, you know, DeFi. Yeah, it's really fascinating how, you know, Ethereum, like if you looked at like 2017 and early 2018, you had people like Eric Torenberg writing these articles like tech tech crypto versus money crypto, right? And the, mm-hmm. the whole like thesis of that argument was that you had the money crypto side, which is basically the Bitcoiners who got into this game because of uh, a desire to have, uh, you know, a, um, a non-debasable, non-sovereign uh, global store of value that could turn into a, a global money, right? That wasn't under the control of any government actor. And, and and that was such a such an important and overwhelming mission that they couldn't imagine focusing on anything else. Whereas you had the tech crypto folks who were like represented by the Chris Dixons of the world and the Why Decentralization Matters posts that he was writing back then that were really looking at these Web 2.0 monopolies and the way that they controlled user experience, the way that they were extracting things from users, the way that they compromised uh, privacy and all this sort of stuff. And tech crypto was going to basically replace those companies with networks that were decentralized and offered similar services, but in a way that was uh, more, uh, less controllable and, and more kind of owned by the users. Um, and that was what prompted the whole idea of dApps, right? And the decentralize everything. Um, of course, over 2018, we saw a, 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 a fleeing from uh, from the, the you know, tokenize everything apps and dApps into what by the end of the year had started to emerge as open finance or decentralized finance. And this year, I think to your point, it just completely, it ate first the Ethereum world. And then it really, um, I think, has even started to expand from that. But it's fascinating to me because it's like that, that tech crypto money crypto heuristic is a little bit broken because it turns out even in the context of ethereum you know the the uh, the the non-bitcoin or whatever uh it's still about money it's still about a new financial system yeah yeah and and part of it though is also that there are a lot of protocols that are maybe better at building other things other than DeFi that are not are, are not launched yet like, for example, like, you know, I think this was actually in Ryan Selkis's like um, crypto thesis, which is that ETH is Ethereum is really good for DeFi. And like, maybe that's its best application. And, and you know, whatever, this might be like a controversial opinion. But but I think just like seeing what we've seen in 2019, like maybe DeFi really is a breakout case for Ethereum. And maybe in 2020 with these other mainnet net launches from other protocols is where we'll start seeing other other things who knows though right but um i i can sort of buy into that argument yeah well there's a couple of parts of that argument one is that an important part that he was making is like yo dude that this is a really big total addressable market you know you're not like you didn't realize that digital cats is your only market you realize that like the reinvention of the financial system might yeah, be your only market. right so so part one is don't stress that much about that mm-hmm. uh like that's big part two is is like also um i think that we are the more mature that each of these, that this industry as a whole gets, but also that each of these protocol communities gets, the more they understand like actual product market fit in terms of what what it's supposed to be, you know, and and I think that because like because of the 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 concentration of energy that came around the ICO movement or the boom, everything got just mashed together. And it was like mm-hmm. all part of one big thing. Whereas now finally we're, we're starting to peel them back and actually be able to figure out, well, like, okay, for this use case, what needs to be actually decentralized and, and how much? And, yeah. you know, whereas over here is, can that be a little bit different? And, uh, and it's just, I think that in a lot of ways, a lot of the story of, um, of 2019 is like figuring more stuff out about what we're actually working 
working on. Yeah. And that's okay. Like we're a baby industry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. Um, yeah. I, 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 um, I sort of feel like, you know, having talked about, you know, tech, you know, and versus the money thing, like, and then moving like, but, but all of this common core is that like, how do we make things more open? How do we make things like less dependent on one central body? And, and actually part of, um, and I hope you don't mind me just like totally like moving ahead to like, um, 2020, but no, dive in. (laughs) But I, I do feel like, you know, one thing in 2020, which is on the other side of the world, um, and by which I mean China, I think every major Chinese tech company will launch a blockchain solution and all of their payment platforms will incorporate the Chinese DCEP, which is their digital currency electric payment system. Um, and, and I think like, you know, I've always long thought that the only state-backed stablecoin or digital currency or whatever you want to call it that will gain adoption and wide, wide usage would be a China state-backed currency instead of, of something like Libra. Um, and, you know, we sort of saw the announcement of DCEP like sort of um, this fall, but I think this reality will gain fruition in 2020 um, because, you know, every app in China, I think eventually is or will become a super app, um, which we don't really see here in the U.S. I think maybe with the exception of like Uber, that's trying to be a super app, which basically means that like, you know, you could be an app that primarily focuses on online shopping, but maybe you also do food delivery and you also are in the micro mobility space and maybe you also sell movie tickets. And like, I think that may, that means that the potential for DCEP is is huge, right? And, and I think China will and is pouring huge amounts of resources into research as well, you know, largely maybe starting from building out academics, um, but it's just super interesting to consider, you know, because I think in 2019, what we just talked about was so much about like opening up the financial system, like decentralizing this and that. But I think in 2020, where we'll see on the other side of the world is, is more of a constraint around, around this and sort of making this technology to fit, um, what, what makes sense there. Like it's going to be a very kind of big boom of blockchain, not crypto in China in 2020. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's interesting too because I think that like we've had these debates. I mean, even the the thing that I was just mentioning, this tech crypto versus money crypto. Ultimately, this is uh, they they share, and this is kind of your point. This common core of trying to open things up, right? Trying to move from a system that is relatively closed and controlled to a system that is relatively more open, decentralized, and permissionless. You know, whatever degrees there are, and we 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 have sometimes intense fights about what we should be spending our limited time and attention and resources on. And what the stakes of the game are, but ultimately, there's a. If you put everyone in the room, they're they're mostly all looking for a more open, permissionless. Yeah, exactly. Like no matter how much you're fighting, you know, doesn't matter what camp you're in within crypto. Like largely, you're you're sort of fighting along similar veins, right? Or at least similar like ideals. Mm -hmm. You could argue over the nuances of it, but like directionally, I think it's like largely in sync. So it's just, it's, I think it'll be really like interesting to consider. And then, you know, today there was an announcement that um, Paradigm and Dragonfly put like 27 or 28 million into Maker. And and Dragonfly, Mm -hmm. as you know, is like a cross-border like crypto fund, right? So, so they're obviously in in cross-border as in like US-China crypto fund. So Mm -hmm. it's, um, yeah, I, I just don't really know how that's going to play out. Like, of course, Asia is bigger than China, but China also is like the, you know, big player there. And so can you introduce Maker into China, like with 
with even though they have DSEP, even though they have all these other agendas they're pushing, like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's going to be like, that's the real sort of test for whether DeFi can survive in a place with a closed economy and like with a, with a closed economy that, by the way, is very, very technologically advanced in terms of like digital payments. Well, so this is the thing that's so fascinating to me is that, you know, if if we're what we're saying is that the the infighting is kind of ultimately in the scope of things relatively insignificant, um, the introduction of China using similar technologies to do something that on the surface looks similar, but actually from the is like fundamentally more controllable, more closed, like that's actually a polar opposite implementation of this technology. You know, this is like a forces for good forces for bad type of thing. And, you know, maybe that I don't want to add, add morality into it or whatever but like it is a fascinating it's kind of like if we if we thought we were fighting before the the next the next phase could be a quite a different level of significance and i think the you know can maker actually function uh in that context i mean i guess though the the hard thing with the maker question is that it's also just about uh you know trying to displace tether or trying to scoop some of that the you know market share as well too yeah. Or maybe let's not say maker, let's just say DeFi in general, right? Mm-hmm, like we mm-hmm. always argue, I think here in the US, that like, okay, whatever, you guys don't get DeFi because you don't need to DeFi. Look at other countries. And and sure, maybe that's played out with, with some other countries, but can that survive in a country like China? Can that even get adopted? Do people even care? Like, do people care as much as we think they do? Um, is an open financial system really that important to everyone in the world? Like, I, I think that's like a thesis that that will be tested um, in in 2020 and the year beyond. If you take China as a case study, I think that's like an easy or interesting example to to examine. Yeah, I think I think that right now, we're, I, my guess is that if we go zoom way out, we're going to look at this little period right now as a real inflection point, this 2019, 2020 period where the fundamentals of what the future of money looks like, it's it's like finally actually uh, being played out on a global stage. You know, it's been brewing, it's been percolating, but, um, you know, the, I, I think that the introduction of Libra and then China's response to it in particular were, were a starting gun for this in a way that no other event, uh, you know, and no other time has had. Yeah, totally. And, and it's not just China, like, let's bring it back home for a second, like back to the US. Like, I think we've, we've sort of seen enough, like, you know, SEC or IRS, like, and, and FinCEN, like guidances and predictions and this and that to properly strike enough fear in founders and investors in the US. I think in 2020, like, in the US, at least, we are probably going to see more crypto companies and project geofence US users and, and customers at launch. Um, mm-hmm. Although, I don't necessarily think it's going to slow down the desire for people to continue building. I just think that you do have to be more thoughtful around like, how is it going to look at launch, right? There are more questions around that. Like what what Uniswap did this month, right? Like they geofence, they had to geofence a couple of countries because they are still in the US. They, they're under OFAC sanctions. But what's important to know here is Uniswap, what the Uniswap team controls is, is the front end and, and not like the underlying protocol. So the underlying protocol, I mean, sorry, the front end is is okay as long as, as you can copy and like access their code. And, and what we did end up seeing is like various front end um, versions of Uniswap like pop up, right? But that was built underlying on this same protocol. Like the op- open front end was built on like IPFS or something. And, and so that's still able to survive even if like, you know, and, and that's not really something that like, I think you can say, oh, well, you know, the team had too much control or whatever. It's like, no, like, I feel like they were a little bit more thoughtful and careful around their growth and the way they like launched. And, and we're probably going to see more, more like companies do that. 
I think that the, there's, I mean, this is getting a little into the weeds, but there is this whole other dimension of exactly what you're talking about, which is um, the specificity of a application of decentralization, what that means, right? Like, so like what you're talking about is in the context of these, you know, uh, decentralized liquidity type uh, companies figuring out that, um, that, that front end experience, uh, you know, that's a, that's uh, ultimately that's going to need, uh, people to be able to build that on top of a, of a protocol, because as soon as you employ that front end, you're running afoul of whatever jurisdiction you're right, in, you know, but that's more like how decentralized really are you? Like if I shut out your front end, can someone else somewhere else, like build it back up again? Like if I shut correct, you and that's, you're building out the front end, it doesn't matter. Like if you've thought about this and you're really like launching it with, with that in mind, it's like, who can shut down Bitcoin? Nobody. Right. Like I think exactly. more projects sort of be more mindful around, around that. Like if someone shut us down today, like can our protocol, can our whatever things still run? Like maybe. And I think 2020, I'm excited to see more companies maybe like think around that, that scenario. Yeah, I do think they'll have to. Do you think that that this will actually be a uh, a requirement of the times, basically? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. Uh, all right. Well, this is so fun. I could talk to you about this for hours, um, <laughs> but I really appreciate the time. Uh, and yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what the next year holds. I think it's going to be um, interesting and eventful, if nothing else. Agreed. Well, uh, all I'm excited for the next year. I think it'll hold some uh, pretty big developments. Um, yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, Catherine.